Today's episode of the City of Smack podcast on the City of Smack podcast network is presented by Whoop. We are getting to the heart of fall marathon training season. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides 24-7 personalized insights around your sleep, recovery, and daily activity. Whoop has helped runners of all backgrounds train smarter and recover faster so they can get to the starting line healthy and hit some new PRs. As I get ready to dig deep into my marathon training, my Whoop is what's telling me just how exhausted I am from covering the Olympics and Torch Talk, but now I'm rested, recovered, and recharged to get back into the thick of it. Whoop doesn't just get your splits or mileage, but instead focuses on the 23 other hours of the day when your body's getting ready for that next run. Every day gives you a personalized recovery score based on things like your resting heart rate, sleep, and respiratory rate, so you actually know if you're going to be able to crush those tempo runs and if the legs are feeling good. I've seen Nikki Hiltz, Joe Kovacs, Drew Hunter, and a slew of other professional athletes wearing it. Now, it's your turn. Join now for free. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code Sidious at checkout. Go to Whoop, that's W-H-O-O-P dot com, and enter Sidious at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and run faster. Get to the starting line healthy with Whoop. Thanks to the support on Patreon, a big welcome to Kate Stack, Steve Wallen, Jack Downey, Jillian Tholine, Andy Behrens, Austin Hughes, Melissa Freyer, NH Tri-Runner, Lindy Bellina, Sally, Sanjay Raywall, Francesca Tomasi, and Julie Kemp for coming on as backers for the Sidious Mag podcast. Thanks to your generosity, this show will continue going strong, and I've decided to bring on a podcast producer. I'll introduce him in a future episode. Your dollars help us put on shows like Torch Talk and keep us thinking of fun future concepts and possible trips. So support us over at patreon.com slash Mag to make it all possible. Another way you can show your support is by picking up a t-shirt or sweater over at SidiousMag.com and hitting the merch tab. Also, we're nearing a thousand reviews on Apple Podcasts, so it would mean a lot to me if you took a second to leave a nice little five-star review. This helps us populate onto people's feeds as a recommended show on Apple Podcasts and allows new sponsors to see what listeners think of the show. I said whoever ends up being review number 1,000 will get a prize from me in the Sidious Mag shop, so thanks again to all your support. My guest for today's episode is Carson Warholm, and what you're about to listen to is an interview that we did back in October 2020. This is a never-before-heard interview that was supposed to run online as a Q&A with Sports Illustrated, but it never ended up finding a right time to get published, so it stayed in my archives for a bit. So this is all before he became the world record holder and Olympic champion, before he ran 46.70 at the Oslo Diamond League in July, and then before that incredible 45.94 at the Tokyo Olympics to win gold. We touch on the world record, his progression as a star, what his expectations were for 2021, talking with the greats like Edwin Moses, watching Kevin Young's own world record, and much more. Knowing what we know now, it's actually pretty cool to hear his thoughts just months after he took down a long-standing world record. So without further ado, here is Carson Walholm. All right. So to start, I mean, the world record has been the thing everyone has talked about with with you and just how close you gotten. But when did the conversation with you and your coach first begin? The first ever time you guys ever discussed, I think I have a chance of taking on this world record, which has stood for 26 years. Oh, it's a tough question because I don't really know if there is an answer to it. You know, it's it's easy to explain those things um, afterwards, but for us, I think it's like we've been talking about 
running 46 for for a very long time you know almost since i remember after i won the world championships in 2017 in london there was this article in norway about you know that time being really slow when i was lucky to get the win and you know life my coach he told me that you can run 46 you know so he, he has always had that faith in me and 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 somehow i i have believed in it as well but you know thinking about the world record that is a very special place to be as 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 an athlete so you know we've talked about it but also we've we've been very humble towards the record because it's a really good record and you know you don't you can't just go out there and do it you need to have a really good day and everything needs to be ship shape so yeah we talked about it for maybe a year year and a half but you know it's like we haven't cashed it in we just talked about this is possible and i think that is that is the most important thing to see that the things you thought were impossible is actually possible, you know, and that is, as I said, a great place to be. So then you end up running 46.87 in Stockholm and you're 0.09 seconds off of the world record. Te- can you break down that race and explain to me what technically went right to, for, for that time to happen? It's, uh, it's, actually, it's actually a bit interesting because... The Stockholm race was probably, you know, the worst race if you just take a look at it, you know, and, and you would have guessed the time. But I think the best part of that race was, you know, I was just all out. I was in a really great shape and you could just see that I was really, I was really tricked, you know, I really wanted to to get a fast time. You know, I always do, but in Stockholm, you know, you could see it the way I was running. I was running really aggressively and and actually didn't get tired, you know, until the last hurdle where I didn't get over. <laughs> so that is probably, you know, the biggest mistake in that race, you know, was hitting the hurdle and, of course, lost a bit of time. We don't know how much time I lost, but uh, it was a great race. And technically, it wasn't my best, but it is the best time I ever ran. So maybe maybe it's not that important to do it. That's what's interesting to me when, when we dissect just like these incredibly fast performances because I've spoken to Dalila Muhammad and her coach about just the first time she broke the world record at the U.S. championships, it was that she did a leg switch that was unexpected, I think, you know, in the penultimate hurdle and somehow she still managed to break the world record. So it was an imperfect race, but mm-hmm. still got the world record and it feels very similar to, to, to your fast performance. I think so. Maybe, I don't know, because I also hit the fourth hurdle in Stockholm. And I don't know, maybe something happens in your head. You know, you get stressed or you feel like you got to make up for it. I don't know, but I, in, my, in my opinion, the perfect race doesn't exist, you know. I think, I think it's all about having the day and, you know, train every day so that you are on a high level. And if you are on a high level and you, and you consistently perform, so I think, you know, it will it will come to you sometime. Have you watched the video of Kevin Young's world record? And, and if you have, I mean, like, what are your thoughts on just how much the event has changed in those 28 years? So I watched the race a lot of times. And the first thing that, that strikes me is the shitty quality. You know, you can't find a race of Kevin Young in high quality. <laughs> so that is the first thing that strikes me. So I always use the first two hurdles to, find Kevin Young in the picture because it's so shitty quality. But um, 
I love watching that race because it's it's the best four hundred hurdles ever, and and I also like watching Kevin run because you know he has a great stride and he keeps a good pattern. So it's 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 very nice to watch and it's very nice to to learn from the best. I've also watched a lot of Elvin Moses's races and and all of those. So it's it's very nice to watch. Those guys are still around. I mean, have you? What what has Edwin Moses said to you? Because it's like a lot of people consider him, you know, the greatest of all time. And you know, when you're running, most of the, you're putting your name on this all time list, kind of taking it over. Uh, you you haven't been beaten in a while, so you are starting to build sort of a case for yourself. It you know maybe that winning streak that Edwin Moses has is going to be the hardest one to 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 beat. But what, what, have, so. <laughs> what have conversations been like between you and the greats? Um, actually met Edwin Moses for the first time in 2017 uh, at my first uh, Diamond League uh, in the 40 meter hurdles in in Oslo. So he was the guest of honor. It was me against uh, Karen Clement and. And we were at the uh, press conference, and uh, I remember the first thing Edwin told me is that in the four meter hurdles, there are, I think he said, 35 things that can go wrong. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, that is one way to look at it. <laughs> so I was thinking, and I, and I asked him, isn't it better to think that there are 35 things that can go right? So and I think he agreed with me. But um, that, was, that was the first thing he told me, and he also told me to to be patient but it's not easy to be patient if you want to chase Edwin Moses's records so um yeah but but you know it's it's great talking to to these guys and also Kevin Young which I've met a couple of times and and I think it's important to learn and and what is most fascinating about these guys is they were way ahead of their time especially Ed Moses given he was running when the other guys weren't nearly that fast you know so it's uh, it's nice to watch and it also tells me that you know the four meter hurdles there is there's a great potential in it because it probably hasn't had the development the last years that maybe the other events have had so when he says you know there's so many things that could go wrong how many things do you have left to go right for you to be 0.1 seconds faster and then own the world record it's hard to tell because I felt I had the answer to that going into my last three races. I went to Ostrava and straight to Berlin and then Rome. And both the, my races in Berlin and Rome, I felt, you know, this was the best race ever. And I was like thinking, this is world record material compared to the Stockholm race. But they were slower, you know, so it's a weird game and, <laughs> and I can't seem to, to get on top of it. So. Time will show, but I, I believe in consistency. You know, I believe in working hard every day, trying to become even better at practice because I think that is where you, where you push your level, and um, and uh, and I believe in 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 the hard work and the right work. You need to you need to train right as well, not just hard. <laughs> and this has been just like a crazy weird year for for competition, just in general. So there was that sort of like flexibility to, um, you know, when a race opportunity comes around, you're going to take advantage of it no matter what. Um, but from w- my conversations with coaches here, they were curious in sort of your approach. Do you think strategically planning for a time of year or a certain race, like say, you know, the Olympics next year, that's the one you're going to circle on your calendar, would be a better approach 
for you to break the world record? Or do you enjoy that challenge of going for it every single time you run? For me, I always like to, you know, run every race like it's my last. You know, I, I live for these races and I try not to be too smart with, with my work as well because I don't want to kill my passion. So if, if I understand, understood your, your, your question correctly, I think for me it's about, it's about, you know, always looking at my next race as my next, next big chance, you know, and always trying to prove myself at my, at my next chance. So that, that is where my focus is. And this year there was no Rye Benjamin or like Samba really competing. Do you think if you would have had those guys in a race that they probably could have pushed you to, you know, maybe that extra 0.1 second that you needed, but at the same time, like I think about it, world championships in Doha was a little bit slower compared to the races that, that you guys have run together in the past. It's hard to say. Everybody was, was speaking like the, the Doha World Championship was going to be, you know, the greatest 400-meter hurdles race ever. And it wasn't, you know. Everybody got, <laughs> everybody got really disappointed. And, um, and I think, you know, world records are great. You can't, you can't force them. And, and when you run against all the people that everybody is talking about, you know, Rai, Samba, McMaster, whoever it is, you also, it also comes with a lot of pressure, you know, and maybe it changes your running rhythm. I don't know, but, but um, I prefer to run against these guys because I feel like they make me better, you know. I always, I always, you know, think that they can push me towards becoming even better. And if I was all alone running very fast right now, I don't think I would have the same motivation, to be honest with you. Do you feel that pressure now, given the fact that you had this incredible season? And when I've talked to the coaches here, it's sort of like, you you have not put together a bad race this year. Like, you could say Stockholm, technically, you, you might feel was a bad race, but the time doesn't say that. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. And what these coaches here take away from seeing you have a bad race is they can see, you know, technical, you know, deficiencies here or something were going wrong and you haven't given that to them so what is what is it going to take you think for them to beat you or, or to overcome that little hump to close the gap my my competitors you mean yeah i don't think the gap is is too big especially compared to rye samba and maybe some other guys because they are on a really high level. They are top level athletes and they've been running these quick times before. So they're capable. Um, so I'm just trying to be prepared to, to when we are all racing together again. Um, but for, for me, I, I never, me and my coach, we, we almost never discuss my really bad race, my, my really bad races because we don't feel like they, they show my level. We always, we always discuss the good races because that is where we are, you know, all coming closest to our potential and how can we push our potential even further. And um, I believe that my competitors are thinking the same. And especially because I never, I don't know how Rai is training. I don't know how, how Samba is training. And, and, it's, and it's very, it's fascinating because 
every time, every year, I'm really curious how how are things going right now. You did you ever consider uh, coming to the United States and, and and training out here? Because it's like it's crazy to me to know that you're probably one of the most dominant track and field athletes out there right now. But you could come to the United States, and very few people would know who you are. Did you ever consider coming to the NCAA and doing all that? You mean college? Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> my training, uh, my training partner Emily Yule. She was training at USC actually with with Rye also I think, and and Michael Norman and and these guys. And it doesn't sound like college would be a great fit to me. She told me that. They had like 5 a.m. hills and they need to be at practice at this and this time. And if not, you know, they get they get a punishment. And it sounds like being in the military, you know. I <laughs> I show up to training every day, 10 minutes too late because you know, I like to sleep in and all these things. So the coaches would probably kill me if I was to go to college. <laughs> and is that... It- compared to just like that star power, how big are you sort of in, in Norway? Like help me get an idea of, of just that. I know the Ingebrigtsens are huge there, uh, but if you came here, no one would really know who you are. That's great, huh? <laughs> I love it. Um, Norway is, is crazy about track and field right now. So in our country, what, what, what we do, especially, you know, me and the Ingebrigtsens are, are very well recognized and, and, and people are paying attention to what we do. Um, in the US, I, I feel like the track and field environment, it has great potential, I, I think. Um, I don't know too much about it, but, but um, would, would, would the, the general track and field athlete from US be recognized walking in the streets, you think? No, not here. No, so it's like I feel I feel like our sport has great potential, and the one that has been closest to fulfilling that potential is, of course, the same bolt. Um, so we just gotta strive towards the greatness that the legend bolt had before me. So I don't know, but I would love to come to train in the U.S. because it's great weather, and actually these colleges they build they build the greatest tracks and. Mm-hmm indoor tracks, outdoor tracks, and it just looks like the greatest facilities. So I would love to use the facilities there. But at the same time, I train in a soccer hall. It's like, it's it's an old soccer hall, which was built four years ago. And we just put out 120 meters of Mondo there and we train on the grass and also on the Mondo. And we built our own weight room. It's really rocky style. Um, and that is how that is how I do it, and and it works for me also because it's you get a lot of beating also running on these hard surfaces. So my coach is very, it's very good at, at at switching it up and and trying to prevent injuries as well, which is also very important because injuries is what kills most careers. Mm-hmm. I've seen bold comment on your Instagram photos. You guys share a sponsor like. What what are, what are the talks between the two of you guys have been over the past like year or so, especially since he's seen you become this dominant force in the sport? Um, so I have a lot to thank my my coach for. He's he's really smart, and besides being smart and a nerd, he also has 
social skills and and it works really well together and and it's a very unusual combination um and um it's, it's cool because i feel like we we built a great thing together because i really appreciate his knowledge and all the time he puts in my training so um when i do sponsor contracts i share them with him i share my bonuses with him and and he is a part of the team so we do this together and uh, and um it's it's our project because it's not just about the money i i i'm not in it to get rich i'm in it to see how good i can become and to and to fulfill my potential i need a guy like like coach light to to show me how it works and and we are actually very good friends uh after after we go we go home for training as well he he has a jacuzzi and we spend five or six hours there each week and we and we talk a lot on the phone and everything so so we are great friends even though i'm 24 and he is 63. (laughs) (laughs) i have to ask this because a lot of people seem to think that the 400 meter hurdles and the 800 are the two toughest events in track and field so from your experience as, as having run it in the, in the decathlon, what, what are your thoughts on which is, the, which is the toughest and what do you think you could run for an 800 right now? So I'm really curious about the 800, first of all. Uh, I've been running 600 meter as, as a kid. And um, right now I feel like maybe I have a bit too much muscle, but... I think I would quite easily get at least under 150 at the 800, I think. 150, you said? Under 150? At least. I, I hope so. I would be disappointed if not. But and, uh, and hopefully even faster. I hope actually that one day I can be able to actually try to see how good I can be at the 800 meter because I like, I like the distance and I like the thought of it. But right now, I probably wouldn't be that good but at least at least under 150 i would say and not feel too cocky <laughs> <laughs> uh, and right now you, you at, at the very beginning before we started recording you told me it's not the off season you're back into to training where are we and then what is the path to to tokyo look like first of all i'm just crossing my fingers that tokyo will happen uh, i think it will actually in 2021 um and as I and as I said, it's about consistency. You know, I'm trying to build brick, brick on brick every year, and and this year is is the same. And it's always about development for us. And as you can see, this season it was just about development and proving to myself that I've become a better 400 meter hurdler. And and the the next year will 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 be the same. It's always chasing the hundreds and the tens and the seconds, whatever. Um, so it's, it's training every day and, and trying not to do big mistakes and, um, and get the good work in. I love it when athletes make guarantees and it's like, it's like Michael Jordan guarantee or like someone guaranteeing like a victory in a game. Would you guarantee world record 2021? Absolutely not. <laughs> for me, for me, I don't like guarantees because actually guarantees it, that puts an unhealthy pressure on myself. So I like it when people think that I have the potential for something. If you were to say, I think Carson could do the world record next year, I would say, thank you. I appreciate that. But <laughs> for me, 
I would just be disappointed if, if I didn't do it. And, you know, if I were to run 46.79 next year, it would still be a very good time, even though it would be, it would suck a bit as well. But, <laughs> but um, no, I, I don't give guarantees, but I think that my generation with me and the other athletes is a generation that can push this world record. That, that I think, but you can never guarantee it. Actually, if you look back just some years ago, people were thinking that some other world records would be broken. For example, the high jump. Mm -hmm. And it's not broken yet because things can happen. And that is also what makes our sport interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. You didn't fall for my trap, which is, which is good. Uh, Carson, I appreciate you taking the time for this. I know they only gave, it, gave us a little bit of, uh, of time. I appreciate it as well. It was nice talking to you. If you're digging all the content and want to share your support for Sidious, then hit us with a couple of bucks and pledge your support over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash SidiousMag. Your help gets us to events, covers hosting fees, lets me pay my new podcast producer, and helps us think big picture for projects in the future. You can also throw us a one-time donation by hitting us on Venmo at SidiousMag. Thanks to Whoop for being the sponsor of the SidiousMag podcast. Go to whoop.com. That's W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Sidious at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and run faster. Get to that starting line healthy with Whoop. That's all I've got. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Feels good to be back behind the mic for some regular interviews and shows. Legs are feeling good.